The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you join me? Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. This morning we'll be looking together verses 7 through 14 as we pick up where we left off last week. Hebrews 13 verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. The bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Writer of Hebrews is, is closing out his letter by giving instructions to the church. The entire letter has been an argument. It's been an argument about the supremacy of Jesus Christ, how Jesus is better, how he's better than everything. He's the, he's the better revelation. He's, he's the better Adam. He's the better... Abraham, he's the better Moses, he's the better David, he's the better prophet, he's the better priest, he's the better king. He is better, he is, he is far better than all that came before him, all that was, was preparing the way for his, his coming, for his advent, that history and, and creation culminated in in his coming, in his living, in his dying, and in his being raised from the dead. And he's, he's calling the, the people of God to faith in the gospel of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that faith is the determining factor in salvation. And so he, he closes out after all of this Argument. He closes out thirteen chapter in chapter thirteen. Not so much with with theological arguments or polemics. He's, he's, he closes out with instructions to the church. That's what he's he's doing here. In light of all of this gospel truth, how now shall we live both individually and corporately? And that that really is what we talk about when we say church. When we say he's He's addressing the church and how the church should function and should live. We should think of that in, 
in both of those ways. The church is the people of God. That you are the church and, and I am the church. And how we live our lives individually uh, reflect on and influence um, the church. So there's, there's an, an individual nature of how we live. But that's also then seen and experienced corporately as the church of God is the, the people of God, the gathered people of of God, his, his body here on, on the earth. And so he's, he's writing to these believers, these Hebrew believers, giving instructions in how they should live individually and corporately. These instructions aren't just for them, but they are by extension instructions for you and for me and for our church on how we are to live and, and to function. They are ours by extension because this is the word of the Lord. This is God's instruction to, to his, his church and how we should function individually and corporately. So last week, Jacob began... Chapter 13, by saying, let brotherly love continue. That is, individually, you continue in brotherly love. And as you and I continue in brotherly love, then corporately we will be a church marked by brotherly love. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, where thereby some have entertained angels unaware. You be hospitable. I be hospitable. Our church, by extension, is hospitable. Remember those that are in prison, as though in prison with them, those who are mistreated, and you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. He has said, I will neither leave you, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. These are instructions for your life and for my life and how we live in these areas. And then by extension, it should be the characteristics of our church. And so we will pick up now in, in verse 7. As he continues with these instructions on how you are to live and how I am to live, and by extension, how our church should function, as the writer of Hebrews calls you and calls me to remember some things. In verse 7, he begins by saying, Remember your leaders. Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. The first instruction that the writer gives here in this section is to remember specifically, he calls the church to remember their leaders. And not just any leaders, but those leaders specifically who spoke the word of God to them, who taught them the Word of God, who taught the, the Bible to them. Now this, 
This can be a, a number of categories of people. It, it certainly should include the, the pastor, the preaching um, elder of the church. It may be Sunday school teachers. It may be uh, women's Bible study teachers, men's Bible study teachers. Um, those who have encouraged you in the word of the Lord, he calls on them to remember those who have come before you and have, through their lives, given example of what kind of faith is pleasing to God. That's, that's the, the call here. Remember those who have come before you and in their life, through, through their living, they're teaching you of the word of the Lord They have given an earthly example of what kind of faith that's pleasing to God. Consider and remember the outcome of their lives. Those who have kept the faith, those who have persevered, consider the outcome of their way of life. There should be in the church of God faithful brothers and sisters who have served the church as an encouragement of faith and faithful living. As I read this verse, I couldn't help but think of my friend Bobby Culpepper. I, I met Bobby as a, as a teenager. He lived down the street from me. I, I probably met him first in the context of faith evangelism. As a teenager, um, I and Alicia and a number of us participated in faith evangelism where we learned to share our faith. Um, And then not only did we learn to share our faith, but we went out door to door and and did that. And Bobby was the, the, the lay leader of faith evangelism at Westwood Baptist Church. He stood about this tall, um, an older man. And, um, Incredibly fiery. I, I wrote a poem for him um, on the occasion of his retirement and moving to Mobile called There's a Fire in His Bones. That was Bobby. It's like a stick of dynamite, just small but, but powerful. Bobby was an executive at U.S. Steel and retired with with a very comfortable retirement and could have drifted into his later years in leisure, but instead followed the the call of God on his life. And that included uh, being a missionary. He and and his wife Lillian moved to the border of Mexico. They bought a a single wide trailer and lived on the border of uh, U.S. and Mexico doing mission work and, and ministry there um, to those who needed the gospel. He returned from that and, and came on staff at, at Westwood. He served as the minister of, well, let's see, he first, start, he first was the, uh, before he went to Mexico, he was the administrator. And then he went to Mexico and then he came back, he was the, the missions pastor. And um, he served on staff with me at Westwood for um, a number of years. And I, I had just great conversations with him about a, a whole host of things. 
Eventually, Bobby got cancer. He had um, uh, melanoma on his face a number of years earlier that they had removed that it didn't know it, but sort of went to a, a cellular level and metastasized to his lungs. And so he had metastatic melanoma in his lungs. That's, that's, a, that's a death sentence. And it was for Bobby. The, the doctors gave Bobby six months to live. And um, on his way home from that diagnosis, he came by our church offices. And the, the staff gathered there in the little front foyer area to, to pray for Bobby. And Bobby began to, to give us the diagnosis, that, the, the time frame that they, they've given me six months to live. And so we began to pray for Bobby. But before, he, as he was saying that, I, I am not exaggerating it. I wish, I wish Ty was here this morning. He could confirm this. He was there. Um, Bobby began to jump up and down in joy. I mean, literally jumping up and down, smiling. And with tears in his eyes, he said, I can't believe that I get to see Jesus soon. That's what I think of when I think of, remember your leaders who have come before you, remember the outcome of their lives and their faith. I think of, I think of Bobby and the way that he faced that kind of news with an unshakable faith in God. Bobby and, and Lillian moved to Mobile. He did a, a, uh, a treatment that was... Um, a trial treatment, lived another 12 years or so, and um, 10 or 12, and died during, during COVID from COVID. And he is, he's with the Lord today. His life serves me as an, an encouragement. That's what the writer of Hebrews is calling us to do, to look at the lives of those who've gone before us who taught us the Word of God, who persevered in faith. Consider the outcome of their life, he says. Now, I want you to just think about that for a second. Remember those. That, that by its very nature means that they're no longer with us. Remember them and the outcome of their life. What, if they're not with us anymore, what's the outcome of their life? They, they're dead. They died. Remember that. That's what the writer of Hebrews is calling you, us to do. Remember them and their life, but remember specifically the, the outcome of their life. What's the outcome of their life? The outcome of their life is, is death. That's what's in view here. Remember them and their faith and their perseverance all the way to the end and imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. We should look at their life, but specifically their faith. And that is what we should strive to imitate. Please, we, we, we're not called to imitate 
other, other aspects of their lives. The, the, the Lord has, has given us all different callings and, and um, we're specifically to, to look at them and be strengthened by their faithfulness in keeping the faith all the way to the end and imitate their faith. Now, I also know that this verse can cause us to, to run onto some, some rocky ground. And it does so because of just the, the real experience of many of our lives. The reason is because people fail. And pastors fail. And teachers fail. And, and we, I am sure, all know folks that persevered to the end in faith and set an example and how we should persevere in faith who were teachers of the word. And we all know folks who were teachers of the word and failed. I had to move my, my library over the last couple of weeks. And um, I was, as I was moving books, I was just struck at the number of books on my shelf by men that have fallen in ministry. I picked up a two and told Alicia, I said, this guy right here had a moral failure, committed suicide. And it was just one after the other. Why? Because we, we all know this and... So when we read these verses, we think, man, well, I'm not, you know, I, I start considering my leaders. Those guys, they, they didn't last. They didn't last. They were abusive and they failed. So what do we do with, with that? That's the, a question we should ask ourselves. What if we remember our leaders and, and they were not godly leaders? They did not persevere to the end in their faith, and we consider the outcome of their way of life, and it isn't a good one. Well, I think that's what we do. I think we consider the outcome of their way of life, and we ask the Lord to be gracious to us so that we don't follow into it. I'm, I'm one bad decision away from joining that list, and so are you, and we need the Lord to help us and he does so in his word, and he does so through the, the godly example of those who have come before us and kept the faith. Even when we know that there are those who haven't. And as we consider those in those times, then we should remember and consider the one that has never failed, Jesus Christ. That's the next verse. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. And imitate their faith. What if I don't have any leaders that way? Well, consider Jesus. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. This should be really good news for our weary souls. The Lord Jesus Christ is the same. He is the same yesterday as He is today and as He will be forever. This is good news for us because we live in a world of constant change. The, human, the, the only thing um, consistent 
in the human experience is change. Relationships change. People change. Circumstances change. Cultures shift. Nations rise and they fall. The good news is that through it all, Jesus remains. He is the same yesterday as He is today, as He will be forever. This is good news for me, just to know that in the Lord Jesus Christ, there are no mood swings. There are no mood swings. He is the same. There, There is no moral shifts in Jesus Christ. The culture might shift in its morality, but Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forevermore. this, This verse means that the Christ we see in the gospel, the one that is cleansing the lepers, raising the dead, stilling the storms, feeding the sinners, or feeding the hungry, forgiving the sinners, the one that has died to save us, he has not changed. He is the same today as He was then. That's really good news, church. It also means that because He is the same, that His commands and His calling has not changed. It means that His Word does not change. That we don't have to come to His Word and wonder, I wonder if that works for me today. We, we, we don't have to come here and go, well, this was written, you know, 2,000 years ago to this church uh, somewhere by somebody somewhere uh, to a bunch of Jews. And I don't, I don't know if this even applies to me. Jesus Christ is the same. His word is the same. His commandments are the same. His calling is the same. He is the same. What this means is that the Christian life as it should be lived, was the same for Paul as it is for us. Jesus Christ is the same. It's the same for these Hebrews as it is for us. What about societal changes? Doesn't that change things? Well, who cares if society changes? It makes no difference because Jesus never changes. His Word never changes. That is one of the reasons why this book matters so much. Because though it was written to these specific people, it remains the same for us because it is Christ's Word and He never changes. His teaching never change. They remain. That is why the writer gives the warning in the next verse. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. See, God, Jesus Christ, remember your leaders, the outcome of their faith. Jesus is the same. That means that he was, he's this, what He was in them and through them and for them that came before you, He is for you because He never changes. And His words and His commands never change because He is the same. Therefore, please, dear church, do not be led away by strange and diverse teachings. As we've talked about, this this Hebrew church is being threatened 
It's being threatened from the outside by, by Rome. And it's a serious threat. It's serious. But that's not even really the, th- the threat that the writer of Hebrews focuses on the, the most. His focus in the letter isn't so much the, the outside threat as much as it is this threat from the inside. That there's a, there's a threat from the, the inside of this church that comes in the form of some bad theology that's being taught among them. Well, here the writer calls it diverse and strange. This word here for diverse is the same word used for um, clothing woven together of many colors. It's sort of, um, it is actually in the, the, so the Old Testament written in Hebrew until we got to a, a certain kind of translation of the Old Testament, which is known as the Septuagint, which is the Old Testament Hebrew written in Greek. And it's very helpful for us because it helps us make connections between the New Testament, which is primarily written in Greek, and the Old Testament, because then you can see the, the parallel usages of the word. This word here for diverse is the same word used to describe um, Joseph's coat of many colors. This weaving together of many different colors. This is what false teaching is like. Oftentimes it is dazzling to behold. Especially in the place of just some, some plain truth. You see this this diverse teaching, and you're you're sort of mesmerized by it. It's it's exciting. Look at this this truth that I have discovered, this new way of thinking or of understanding. The writer of Hebrews says, don't be led away by this, this strange, this diverse new teaching. It's the same word used for an alloy. An alloy is you take two different kinds of metals and you, you fuse them together to create an, an alloy. This is, this is the same word here. It's, it's diverse. It makes it diverse because it's made up of different things. The same way, don't, don't take... The teaching here is, we're just about to see, is don't take those who are, who are teaching this strange form of Judaism that they're trying to to combine with Christianity and they're making some sort of alloy out of it. Don't don't be led astray by that. He calls it diverse. He calls it strange. This is uh, citizens of another nation. Same word for foreigners. Same word for um, mercenary soldiers. I think that's a good way to think of it. They're out to get you. These are are things that are unheard of and unfamiliar. Don't be led away by these strange, diverse teachings. Church, stick to the plain teaching of the Word of God. So what was this strange teaching that was threatening this church? Well, we don't know exactly what it was, but the text gives us a really good idea. 
Don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. So he kind of lets us in on a little bit of what's going on here in that it, it has to do with food. Now, this is a common problem, the issue of food, a common problem throughout the entire formation of the early church. It, it rears its ugly head over and over and over and over again. And, and it, it, it takes its form in different ways. And in a lot of ways, it takes its, its form, not the way it does here in the book of Hebrews, I think, but in, in foods that were considered unclean under the Old Testament that, that now are, are clean in, in Christ Jesus. And so you, you see, you know, that Peter, he's, he's like, the Lord's got to tell him three times, take and eat, take and eat, take and eat, because he didn't want to eat the food, you know. This is unclean. No, 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 not anymore. That's old, there's new. Um, or food sacrificed to idols. Paul has to address that over and over again because of the divisions that it was causing in the church. Well, here in this church, it seems that there were some that were adding to the Christian's responsibility the practice of eating ceremonial meals. And there were many different ceremonial meals in the Old Testament. And so it seems that there are there those in this church that are claiming that you can be a Christian and you need to be a Christian, but you need to add to your Christianity the eating of these ceremonial meals and that in doing so, you will become a stronger or a better Christian. Well, the writer tells us that in eating these that they had become prideful. And in being prideful, they had cut themselves off from the grace of God. Do not be led away by strange and diverse teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. So There were those that were devoted to them that thought they benefited them, that they thought strengthened their heart. But in it, they had become prideful because that's, that's why he says it's good for you to be strengthened by grace because it's, that's the opposite of, of a pride in works. Grace, God's grace, always flows to the humble. These were prideful and they thought that their eating of the meal strengthened them and made them better than others. And it is because of this pride that God resists them. You probably know Proverbs 3.34, though the ESV is a strange and uncommon translation of it for most of us. But towards the scorner, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So don't be led away by these things. Be strengthened instead in God's grace. Stand guard against such teaching. Stand guard against that which is new and novel. Church, there are no outward activities that provide spiritual blessing. Only the exercise of faith. I'm going to say that again because it's vitally important. There are no 
outward activities that provide spiritual blessings. The writer of Hebrews has a chance right here. He has a chance to address the taking of communion, and he doesn't take it. He doesn't say, but the taking of communion. After all, isn't it a ceremonial meal? But if you take the Eucharist, then Christ comes in you and he strengthens you. He doesn't say it. Because there is no outward, none, no outward practices. It is by faith through the grace of God in the inward man. And that, that really is the, um, the reality of the, of the text is that the church failed this. They failed this because what happened to the church, what happened to the church was this belief that if you ate of the bread and you drank of the wine, that transubstantiation would take place and Christ would come into you and you would be strengthened by the eating of Holy Communion. That, that is still the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church, and it is wrong. It is a strange and diverse teaching against the Word of God. And so what did we have? We had great reformers who came to reform, not to bring about some new teaching, Luther and Calvin and the, and the like. No, but to take us back to the original teaching. So don't be led away and led astray by these things. It seems here for this early church that there was some, some ridicule being, being thrust upon them because they didn't eat these meals. Right? So there were, there were some in the church who were ridiculing them because they didn't eat the meals. And I, I don't think the, the ridicule even stopped with the meals, but the, the early church, it seems, was ridiculed because it, in its expression of, of corporate worship and, and life, it did not include an altar. An, an altar was central to Judaism. But in this, this new, there, there's, no, there's not even, there's no altar there. So the, the, the writer of Hebrews, he's, he's, he's taking up this to, to strengthen and encourage this church. Remember your leaders, consider the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Who He was for and in those He is and in and for you. And because He does not change, His Word doesn't change, so don't be led astray by these strange and diverse teachings. Don't, don't be, be threatened and, and by, by those who would seek to ridicule you because you're not eating of these ceremonial meals and those who ridicule you because we don't have an, an altar. The writer of Hebrews says that we got... We got an even better altar than they have. And this is the cross of Christ. It's the better altar, verse 10. For we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. 
This is full of Old Testament illusion. In many cases in the Old Testament, as sacrifices were brought into the the tent, the tabernacle or the temple, and they were sacrificed there, they were then this meat given to the priest to eat. And that happened with the exception of one sacrifice. And that sacrifice was the sin sacrifice that took place on the Day of Atonement. That sacrifice was not eaten. The sin sacrifice was not eaten by the priests. Why? Because if it represents sin, then we won't know part of it. So it, it wasn't eaten. Um, and he says that we have an altar from which those who serve the tent, they have no right to eat. That is the altar of Christ. That is the altar of the cross. Here's what he means by that. He means that those who are stuck in the Old Testament system of law and works and have no faith in Christ Jesus, they do not get to eat at the altar of Christ. That it takes faith to eat at His table. It takes faith to partake in His sacrifice on the cross. But it's a better table. It's a better table. But it's a costly table. This altar of Christ on the cross where, where the true atonement took place, it's a costly table. It cost God's Son His life. And church, it will cost us our reputations. That's the implication. Clear teaching. Look at verse 11. We have, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the body of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin, they are burned outside the camp. This is the, the day of atonement sacrifice. The bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin. That identifies it as the day of atonement sacrifice. It was those, the bodies of those sacrifices, they were taken outside the tent and they were burned outside the tent. Not eaten outside the tent and burned. The writer of Hebrews ties that practice directly to the greatest and final sacrifice of atonement. So, verse 12, Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. He's making... making Connections here to show that Jesus is better. Those ceremonial meals don't strengthen you. Faith strengthens you. God's grace strengthens you. And it comes to you through Jesus Christ and His altar. We have an altar, Jesus Christ. And it comes to you through His sacrifice of atonement. Because He was taken outside the camp, outside the gate, and He suffered there. Now, 
This verse in verse 12, Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood, is both literal and it's figurative. It is literal because where was Christ crucified? Outside the gates of Jerusalem. He was literally led outside the gate. And it was there that he suffered and he died. So it is, it's literally he was taken outside the city. But it's also figurative. It means that Jesus, to be outside the gate, outside the camp, outside the, the tent, was to be despised and rejected by men. That's what it means. His whole message was outside of the worldly religion of his day. It was outside of the practice Judaism of his day. And so he became an object of scorn and abuse. He was outside of the religion, religious system of his day. Figuratively and literally outside of Jerusalem. He was taken there and he suffered and he died. And His was the ultimate atonement that sanctifies. This, his blood in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. And that this sacrifice of Jesus Christ, this altar that we have to eat from, is outside the camp. We have an altar. It's outside the camp. See, they, they, these that are serving at the altar, and this is just... This is one of my favorite verses in all Hebrews, and we're running out of time. Jacob, this is why Jacob said, I didn't think you'd go past verse 8 this morning. But it's hard because they all tie together. Um, y'all got anywhere to be? Yes. Um, it's Alicia's birthday today. We've got to get her to lunch. She's 28. Um, They had an altar that was, that, that was in this system. That's why they, they use this verse to date, help date Hebrews to believe that the temple is still standing. So they have this altar where they're eating this food, except for one, the sacrifice of atonement. Because there is one who is outside the camp who is the sacrifice of atonement who they, they will not get to eat from because they lack faith. He's outside the camp. He's outside of their system. He's out with the despised and the rejected. That's, that's, that's the implication here because you got to understand in the Old Testament what it means to be outside the camp. It wasn't, just the, it wasn't like there was nothing or no one outside the camp except for this sacrifice. No, there were people there. Go read Leviticus 13, uh, 14, 15. And you read all these rules about unclean people. And they're staggering to read. You just read them and you go, this is, this is crazy. Why in the world would God do these kinds of things? And you realize that, that much of it just had to do with the uh, hygiene and, and protecting his, his people. Um, but it was also symbolic. So, so take, for, for example, Leviticus 13, 46. 
It's unclean. This is the leprous. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. That's where the unclean people are. These who think that they are religious and that they are better and that they are clean because they are um, serving the Lord's altar here in the temple... They, they think they're better and, and these others, they're outside the camp. They're unclean. You stay away. You have no right to come here because you're unclean. You, you have to be clean to come here. Until Jesus comes and He says, no, that's, that's, that's where I'm going. I'm going to the unclean. I, I'm going to become unclean. I'm going to become sin. I'm going outside the camp. That's where Jesus went. He went literally and figuratively outside the camp. He was counted as unclean because he had become sin. But Jesus went there so that he could make us Clean. This is my, my favorite story in the, in the scriptures is when the leper, the leprous man comes to Jesus. By law, had to stay away from him, covered his mouth, unclean, unclean, unclean. Instead, goes right to Jesus and falls down before him and says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus, who could have just spoken the word and made him clean, instead reaches out and touches him. And in that moment, Jesus should have, by Jewish law, become unclean. But he's so powerful, he can say, no, not only can I make you clean, but I can, I can stay clean. That's how powerful I am. Until it came for the Day of Atonement, the real Day of Atonement, where he was led outside the camp so that there he could become unclean so that we could become clean. But he did it not so that we could just go back into the camp. See, that, those outside the camp, that's all they wanted to do is get clean so they could get back in. Jesus went outside the camp and became unclean, not so that, that we could become, become clean and come back inside the camp, but he did it so that we could become clean with him outside the camp. Verse 13, therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Here's what it means. It means that following Jesus, standing for his unchangeable truth, being the kind of person whose faith should be remembered and emulated, that kind of life, it will cost you. You will look like you're crazy. You will be an outsider. You will be thought of as backwards, looked at as stupid. But guess what? So was Jesus. He was reviled and he was rejected outside the camp. And so these Hebrew believers who were being reviled and who were being rejected because they were sticking to the faith 
once and for all delivered to the saints, the unchangeable truth of the gospel, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He encourages them to stay outside the camp and bear the reproach that Jesus bore. It's an honor. It's an honor. Because he is worth it. The reward is worth it, verse 14, for here we have no lasting city. See, they're in the city and they're in this temple that they think is going to last forever, but it's about to be destroyed. But we seek a city that is to come. And we're out of time. But as I read that, I just thought to myself, what does it look like? for Christ Central Church to be a people that are outside the camp that bears the reproach that's looked at as crazy and weird and backwards and strange (laughs) that goes to those who the world looks at and says, man, you're unclean, get away. Are we those who are serving at the altar that think we're better because we know X, Y, or Z? Or are we those who say, Christ came for the least of these, and so we are going to the least of these? What would it look like for our church to be outside the camp? Well, that looks like a whole... A lot of different things probably, and we're going to spend a lot of next year talking about those things because we got to get real serious about some local outreach as a church. But I will tell you what it's going to take, and it's going to take you and me being changed by and committed to the gospel because the gospel's outside the camp, and it takes us outside the camp. That's where it takes us. Father, help us. Um, to remember our leaders, those who have gone before us, consider the outcome of their life. They died, yet they live. And we, even when we see their failures, would we consider and remember Jesus? You never change. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because you are the same, your word is the same, it never changes, and so we should not be led astray by these diverse and strange new teachings, but we should stick to the plain teachings of the word of God. And as we do, being well aware that ridicule from this world will come, and we gladly take it. Because you suffered outside the camp. By your grace, would you allow us to Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.